guys! Welcome to part one of the April Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast, recorded live at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 5219 North Clark Street. We've got a pretty spiffy show for you this month. Uh, join us to hear Claire Friedman talk about what nerdiness means for kids today, comedian and writer Sawyer Happy sharing a middle school memory, Steve Persh with another terrific song, and Alex Talavera with a reflection on what it means for a nerd to find a soulmate. As always, you'll also hear music courtesy of myself and Mr. Dwight Hassler. Uh, just a quick note for all you Chicago people, the Nerdalog Sketch Show will be at C2E2, that's the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo, on Friday, April 13th at 3.30 on the Variant Stage. So if you're hitting up the convention, why not take a break and enjoy this free hour of awesome sketch comedy. Our next Your Stories recording will take place that Sunday, April 15th, at the Upstairs Gallery. Uh, that's 7pm as usual, and as always, the show is free and is BYOB. So starting this month, we're actually trying something new with the Your Story shows. Uh, because our March music episode was so popular, we thought we'd start doing more themed shows like that one. So, the theme for April is sex. But it's a very loose theme. You can interpret it however you want, or ignore it completely. It's up to you. But if you're in or around Chicago and have a story to tell, please swing by the Upstairs Gallery on Sunday, April 15th to take part. Uh, again, before we get to the show, one last thing. I just want to remind you guys that the podcast website at yourstories.podbean.com does have a donate button set up. So if you like the show and would like to kick in a couple bucks uh, to pay for web hosting, we would greatly appreciate it. But either way, thank you very much for listening, and on with the show. This one's for Nora. You say that we got nothing in common, no common ground to start from, and we're falling apart. You'll say Lives have come between us Still I know you just don't care And I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany? She said, I think I remember the film And as I recall, I think We were both kind of liked it And I said, well, that's the one thing we've got I see you, the only one who knew me, but now your eyes see through me, I guess I was wrong. So what now, it's plain to see we're over, and I hate when things are over, so much is left She said, I think I remember the film And as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it And I said, well, that's the one thing we've got You'll see that we got nothing in common No common ground to start from And we're falling apart You'll see the world that's come between us Our lives have come between us 
Still I know you just don't voice cracked the first line. I'm going to start over. I'm here to present you with a posit. And I will welcome anyone to come up afterwards and debate me on this or just open it up for discussion at the end because I'm interested in hearing other perspectives. But here is my opinion. My opinion is that our nerdy shit is way better than nerdy shit has ever been. And I will back up that opinion with evidence. Um, so we've discussed several times throughout uh, a few different Nerdalog shows different reasons uh, of, of why modern society has co-opted the mantle of nerd and why there seem to be so many cool nerds now. And kids who wear glasses being like, oh my god, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I read Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a nerd. Um, and there have been different opinions on that <laughs> some people reject those people and say no those are not nerds they don't get it that we've been uh, put down and other people want to embrace them and say hey we're all nerds in different ways and my opinion is that neither is really right because we just have way better stuff than we used to and so it's become more accessible and I was thinking of different examples, and my go-to is Batman, because Batman's amazing, but Batman's always been kind of cool. Like, comic books were much more acceptable many years ago, and Batman has always been mainstream enough that you could never be like, oh, you like Batman? What a nerd. That rich guy with all the cool stuff. Puh. Dorks. Um, but you can look at something that's been around for a long time, like Lord of the Rings, which has been around forever and ever and ever. And it used to be, yeah, sure, a lot of people read Lord of the Rings, but not a lot of people really embraced Lord of the Rings. And now if you say, oh, man, I really like Lord of the Rings, it's like saying, oh, yeah, I really like that movie that won 11 Academy Awards and everyone liked. <laughs> because we made it even better. We took that wonderful basis of those books and those stories and that culture and expanded upon it and expanded outwards and used it to embrace a greater portion of society. And I was trying to think of a place that real hard nerds go to and that is indisputably uncool. And the place I arrived was um, D&D. And I don't think, I just really truly do not think that cool kids play Dungeons and Dragons. 
And I was looking up stats on it earlier tonight, and, um, because I'm a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, turns out between 20 and 30 million people in the United States have played Dungeons & Dragons, which is between 1 in 10 to 1 in 15 Americans, which means that's two kids in every elementary school class will at some time in their life play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and I don't think that that's really going to expand into a greater portion of society, but here's the other thing that I think. I don't think that those two kids are automatically going to be the two most outcast kids in their entire class. I think that the true hard nerds will continue to be the kids that just can't relate to anyone else around them. And we've been talking a lot lately as a society about cyberbullying and about the expansion and, and pervasiveness that that has become. And I think that it, it's analogous to music. We used to have top 40 stations and we used to have like, we know jocks and cheerleaders and the Beatles are cool. And, you know, Ryan Seacrest tells us that and we're done. And now we have iTunes and Spotify and Sirius and so many different musical genres and artistic genres and everything else that we can spread out. So to test this theory, I talked to a cool 16 year old. Um, that I know. He's my little brother, who's a cool kid. <laughs> we try not to resent him for the fact that he's a cool kid. He's really nice. He's a cool kid. He's never had a problem making friends. And so I was asking him about this, and he and his friends would never really make fun of people for the things they do or the things they like. Because we all like so many things that you can like whatever you want. Everyone else is going to like what they want. And we're all going to be fine with that. The kids that are still the lowest, though, are the kids that can't find anything to like and can't find anything to latch on to. And I think that those are the kids that need to be looked out for. Whether they're nerds or not, in a pop culture sense or in a sense of things they embrace, I think not only the kids, but the people who are on the outsides are the people that we need to bring in and say, hey, we may not like the same things, but you probably like something, and that's cool. That got real touching at the end there. Um, I was going to make some funny comments, but now I don't feel like it. That was was heavy. I'll make some. I'll make some. I played, I played D&D yesterday, so... It started off like a... What you want to say about that shit, Claire? It started off like a... Break that thing in your open... Whatever, Claire! <laughs> I feel like that was a public service announcement. Like, that's how a commercial starts. Like, one in 15 kids would play D&D in their lifetime. It's so intro, I didn't realize, like, how much it would be. And then I was thinking about, like, the people I went to school with, I was like, wait, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I would like to argue that D&D has been mainstreamed, and they mm. call it fantasy football. <laughs> that, okay, we... we I was say something, because like, yeah. I really like how we've nerdified sports. Yeah. yeah. How, like, there are so many statistics for baseball now. Uh-huh. Like, it's, it's a math ridiculous. game. Ridiculous. Yeah. 
My brother started watching baseball because he likes Sabermetrics so much. <laughs> <laughs> I call it Matthew Tainment. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and uh, before the football season, mark my words, we will have a sports-themed episode that would be like August or something, because I definitely have thoughts on the fantasy football thing as well. But anyway, what a fun topic this was, Claire. We'll get back to this after the show. Uh, next up, a newcomer to your stories. Uh, I don't have your last name, so I apologize. But uh, Sawyer, come on up. Absolutely. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Um, technically speaking, this is my second performance, but the last one I went to, there was a little rough turnout. Uh, I think there's complications going on, but it's all right. So technically, I'll consider this really my first one. First one, well, on the so yeah, yeah, um, yeah excellent. And uh, my name is Sawyer Herpes. Um, I realize it sounds like herpes. I know <laughs> high school was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> But uh, lately, I have been working on something. Um, I think, as all of us here nerds can understand, a lot of us are comedians, actors, writers, entertainers, what have you, um, that uh, what we do, we don't know where else to go, where to write, or what to write about. We kind of write about ourselves, whether it's making fun of ourselves or anything. Um, It seems a little gauche, but I've been working on a book about just experiences in my life. Um, tonight is an excerpt from it. Um, I'm calling it uh, Regular Ferris Bueller in Batman Underwear. Um, <laughs> most people would fancy school as an opportunity to learn all you can and aspire to greatness. For Sawyer Heppies, this was not the case. I was always under the impression if you were truly smart, you would never have to work a day in your life. My parents discovered this philosophy of mine at an early age when the teachers would complain that I managed to get all the other students in class to do my work for me. What can I say? I was a regular Ferris Bueller in Batman Underwear. It was this kind of behavior that caused me to lose the trust of my educators, and some would outright despise me. You know, positive reinforcement. It was never that I was a bad kid out of a John Hughes movie. I would just get bored. My parents even told me I was a genius. I just never applied myself. At least not in the ways they wanted. So I I was stuck in this prison cell for eight years, in white shirt, gray slacks, matching plaid tie, and a yellow sweater that virtually glowed in the dark. It was so hideous. Wouldn't you lose your mind, too? I had to do something to stave off the boredom. So, I always pulled little pranks here and there. They were never mean or hurtful. Okay, that's not true. Sorry to Scott Milo, Milo, William Wired, and Ryan McGoy. I was a dick. Uh, Still, most of my antics were just goofy things. Drawing inappropriate cartoons in my notebooks or writing funny speech bubbles on the weekly readers. When the teachers found them, they were utterly appalled that a middle schooler would have such an immature sense of humor. I'm sorry I wasn't watching Wes Anderson films at 10 years old. I just found them to be a bit dry at the time. (laughs) What made it worse was their idea of fair punishment. They used to call all the boys into the cafeteria and lecture us about hormones and things while the girls got second recess. Second recess? I'm surprised the girls didn't frame us for murder so they could go play laser tag. Meanwhile, I have to hear them use words that we aren't allowed to use without laughing. A child can only hear the word penis come from a teacher's mouth so many times before they crack. It's maddening. (laughs) There was one time we were drawing mustaches on a picture of Frankie Muniz of Malcolm in the Middle fame. And I put a speech bubble next to his head that read, Suck my dick. (laughs) That was comedy gold. (laughs) Did I get a time slot at the Apollo for it? No. I got a one-way ticket to the principal's office, best seat in the house. I would wait there for 45 minutes nearly every time. I knew she was trying to break me, but I also knew it meant I didn't have to go to class. Stupid scare tactic, if you ask me. I'm finally summoned to the office, which was adorned with a rug donated by my parents. A gif I like to think taunted her from time to time. (laughs) She would always have a cup of coffee like she was the chief of police in a buddy cop movie. Thankfully, she let me keep my gun and my badge, but she was still very disappointed in me. She was amazed a child could write such a thing. I thought it was pretty clever, too. 
<laughs> All she could do was uh, thrust the thing in my face to, and demand to know if I thought this was funny. But if I didn't think it was hilarious, I wouldn't have written it. But alas, I had to pretend my comedic addition was a sad attempt at getting kids to like me. Who, mind you, also thought it was funny. I think she was just jealous because she didn't think of it. That office was like a second home to me. Eventually the teachers got lazier and lazier, assuming I would just mar- march myself there. These are the educator- educators of tomorrow. If a kid isn't told to go directly to the principal's office, he isn't going to go there. Implications and assumptions were their kryptonite. One teacher got so mad because I half-assed my English homework that she just told me to disappear. So I went to the bathroom. The teacher panicked for nearly 45 minutes because she thought she actually made me dis- disappear. Once again, folks, these are the people you put in charge of your children for eight hours a day, five days a week. I could have just gone to a small town in Iowa, lay low until the heat of my English assignment blew over, get my face on a couple milk cartons, even have a funeral for me. You know, all the hot girls I had crushes on would admit that they were secretly in love with me while weeping over my empty coffin. That truly would have been the best course of action, but the bathroom seemed more like convenient. As I got older, my elementary school antics got better and better, but my respect among the faculty did not. This was not my fault. Well, this wasn't completely my fault. Sometimes I would honestly be trying to be helpful. I wholeheartedly admit it wasn't, I wasn't the most responsible, and that I had a criminal record in the hallways, but aren't we attending an institution founding on redemption and open-mindedness? Nope, Sawyer is evil. I thought we covered that at the last library meeting. Which, for those who don't know, uh, once a year, that's the one time a year teachers can afford to get drinks together and bitch about all the children that make their paychecks seem even smaller. <laughs> Eventually, graduation came. I would be attending a private high school in Arlington, Virginia. Many people would think this wouldn't be a really step up. Trust me, any place was better than the previous academy. Here's the funniest thing about it. As I was sitting in the church pew for my last church service, there was a small trickle that ran down my skin. No, I didn't piss myself. It was a tear. This tear was soon joined by a flood of subsequent tears. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The one place I had loathed and detested for eight solid years finally had an effect on me. I would actually miss the dysfunctional teachers, tacky uniforms, and general atmosphere. They say you may not miss something until it is gone, but I don't think that this was the case. I think that this place was a very big part of my life. One of the many things I endured without knowing the strength and patience it gave me. I was an immature little brat then, and I didn't think about everything I was doing. Sure, I spent half my time at the principal's office, but I had a hell of a time. Thank you. Thank you, Sawyer Heavy. Sorry I did not get your full name earlier. That is my badge of shame to wear. Uh, Anyway, so, uh, Steve Hirsch, everybody, another Nerdalogger. This is a treat. So, last month, Steve played guitar in public for the first time ever, and I think it was like the funniest thing I've ever heard. So, he's back for round two. That's like Johnny Cash a little bit too. <laughs> Man in black. Black guitar. I did pick out something that would match my guitar. <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, just my third performance in front of people. Uh, as you heard last time, I, I played a, a new song that had only three chords. I made it somewhat easy on myself. This time, uh, it's a song with four chords. So I'll be stepping it up. Uh, but I'll let you know I'm a little bit nervous about the chord change in the chorus. I, uh, I, I think I'll be able to, to do it, but we'll see. Uh, so this is, this is a song um, just about the internet. I think that's all the introduction it needs.
place you have to pick a side. And if you ever mistype, the trolls are quick to chide. <laughs> a thoughtful post on Reddit, buried for a comma splice. Before I hit submit, I always reread twice. Even with the haters, technology moves so fast. Why do people get mad at me when I say TV is the past? I say death to America. That cites a revolution, a real game changer. Old cautious media structures feel impending danger. YouTube told the truth about Roswell, and my enlightened comments flowed. And the conspiracies on JFK made my head explode. And I said, Death to America. Funniest home videos to America Funniest home videos A thread A thread about the best presidents I said Truman was the bomb And I can't quite put my finger on Why our Chicago loves rum Freaks and geeks was decent Whatever happened to its stars I guess they were just casualties of times such as ours. We have to win the future. Ron Paul warns of collapse. He's a practical politician, and I type it in all caps. have a member of the Nerdalogs troupe who we all applauded before, but dude just got engaged two days ago. Ooh. Alex Talavera, everybody! <laughs> you want me to go? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. uh, where should I sit? Uh, wherever you Anywhere want. you want. Right, yes. I'll, I'll sit here. The, the life of a nerd, I think, in general, and the way that I've always felt about it, is one of uh, shoring up your allies. Um, you feel very alone a lot of the time when you're an outsider. Uh, and then there's that kind of weird magical moment uh, when you're a young person and you meet that friend um, that you realize that you're okay with. And all of a sudden, you're not one, you're two. You know, or maybe you're three. I'm not sure what everyone's experiences were, uh, but for me, that's how it started. 
Um, so I had a best friend, uh, and his name was uh, Dave. And I met Dave in sixth grade. And Dave was, I mean, for all purposes, uh, you know, my soulmate. When you're in sixth grade, your soulmate is very rarely uh, a member of the opposite sex. <laughs> it's another person that likes the same cartoons you do. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so Dave was uh, my soulmate in a lot of ways. And, uh, and there was that kind of period where you realize like, hey, nerd, or however I view myself, I'm not alone. And I have this other person who sees the world the way I see the world. And therefore, I'm fucking awesome. Uh, and that's, that's a great feeling. Right? When you, when you belong and you understand that, like, it doesn't matter because it works, so everything is yes. Uh, and so my buddy Dave, um, we and I, he and I were best friends uh, through middle school and high school and college, as a matter of fact. He was my freshman year roommate at uh, college. We both went to the same college together because that's how much we didn't want to deal with other people. <laughs> we were like, no, let's just go to the same uh, stupid college. We, I don't care. Uh, um, uh, and we did. And then uh, after that freshman year, uh, we lived together in a house. Um, and then we both kind of became adults. And what happens when you become adults? You know, you those, those weird sort of uh, things about yourself that you learned... Uh, you grow apart from your friends, and that's good and natural. But um, it's very hard when you're growing apart from the person that, uh, at age 10, you thought was, like, your best friend and your soulmate. Um, so that was something that happened to me. Dave and myself grew apart, and we became different people, and we realized we had different values. Even though we both loved each other like brothers, but just like brothers, you realize that you also have differences. Um, so, so Dave and I grew apart when we got older, and uh, I didn't have that that best friend in the world anymore. Uh, and as it so happens, this was also when I was about, I guess, twenty four, uh, which is. The time in a man's life when I suppose he's supposed to be looking for women? <laughs> I don't know. I was never really good at that. Uh, so that never really followed uh, according to plan anyway. Um, so I moved to Japan, and uh, I was teaching abroad out there, and I, and I met a girl, and uh, she was great, uh, lovely, tall, buxom thing. Uh, I'll call her a thing. It's fine. Uh, uh, and 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 she became my partner and best friend. Um, but here's the thing: when you cleave to someone that is not, as a 24 year old, you're cleaving on to someone who who you don't share those same values as you when you're 10 years old. A 10-year-old's vision of the world is so pure and so uh, clean that you really know what you're fucking getting into 
when you make a best friend at 10, right? Like, at 24, a lot of other bullshit. And uh, tall, buxom thing uh, turned out to be kind of crazy and not great and not a good partner. And uh, I had to leave her. I had to leave tall, buxom thing. Um, and so I was kind of, uh, for a while, floating out there, uh, partnerless and alone. And again, feeling the same way I felt as an eight-year-old nerd, which is, am I the only person in the world who feels this way? Who views the world this way? Who is this way? Uh, it's very isolating to be alone. And not to be alone like away from people, but to be alone in the middle of people. And so I had a kind of a crisis of faith where I was like, shit, maybe I just am uh, predestined to be just a sort of outside-the-box person. Uh, and that was okay. I mean, a uh, tall boxing thing, uh, because I left tall boxing thing, I uh, had to make friends. I was living in the city, I didn't know people. I had to force myself to go outside and, and shake hands and, and, and do stuff and do improv, which is ridiculous nonsense. Uh, <laughs> if you guys haven't done it, it's the dumbest. Uh, uh, so, so I did that. I did that to make friends and to try to find out if I was really, really alone. Well, of course I'm not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm one nerd of a million nerds, and we're all out there like this. We're all islands just kind of floating, waiting to bump into each other to, to kind of form some greater uh, chain, some, god damn, I was going to say uh, archipelago, whatever the fuck, but that's the stupidest thing. Um, <laughs> the, the, the point is, that isolation you feel is the isolation you feel because, because you're in the middle of it. Um, and so I, I went out, and I made friends, and I did it, and I realized I wasn't alone. And then, lo and behold, uh, I met a girl uh, who did improv, uh, and she's the dumbest. Uh, uh, who I immediately didn't feel like such a nerd with. Um, you know, she got all my jokes, and uh, I, I saw myself in her and she saw herself in me and I got that perspective I was able to comment on the world and not not have to explain that comment on the world she understood that comment on the world and she could comment on the world and I could understand her comment on the world and I felt like I'd found my soulmate and at 31 years old which is how old I am now uh that felt like a great big prize, right? Like, when you're 10 years old and you find your best friend, that's the shit. But when you're 31 and you find your soulmate, like, you almost don't believe it's a thing. You're almost ready to believe that that is impossible and that it's like, that is some bullshit that someone wrote about and isn't actually true. And when it happens, it's pretty great. So, uh, <laughs> I uh, went to a jeweler, and I had to make a ring, uh, and we 
decided no diamonds because uh, diamonds are dumb. And, uh, uh, and there's a sapphire, and it's really cool. Um, and uh, and I couldn't go get the ring because they're only open till five o'clock, and I work up in Evanston, so I couldn't go get it. Well, in a weird sort of twist, um, my buddy Dave is living with me right now. He's here in Chicago, uh, doing uh, the Siebel Institute for Technology, which is a beer school. Uh, he's going to be a master brewer. Uh, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. He, he's my best friend. <laughs> he's the best. Uh, but yeah, he's getting his, he's getting his master brewer certification. He's going to go to Germany and learn how to fucking be a master brewer and make pale ales and uh, and, and just be the best person. Um, but he's here in Chicago. And so I called him and I said, listen, man, the ring is ready for this jeweler. I can't go get it. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll go get it. I'll leave class. I don't give a shit. Um, and so Dave was the one who went to the jeweler and picked up the ring. And they called him Frodo. <laughs> and I had to go fax my driver's license and a signature saying it was okay for them to use my credit card and release the ring to this rando dude who had my credit card. Like, the shadiest thing in the world. Uh, and I said, yeah, no, no. This, is, this guy Dave, he, he speaks for me. And he is my guy. And... Uh, give him the ring. And so Dave <laughs> took the ring and brought it back home. And uh, and then uh, on Friday, I gave the ring to Allison, who was my uh, soulmate. But I guess what I kind of learned from that is that um, you find these people in your lives and these kind of events happen that kind of define who you are. But the you'd be very, very surprised if you actually went back and tried to ask this person, like, hey, was that, was that event to you as important as it, as it was to me? Because it is. It is. Dave is my best friend for life. Even if we've grown apart, it doesn't matter how different we become, he will always be there. And my soulmate, Allison, is the same thing. Like, we're going to grow apart, we're going to change, we're going to become different people. We're going to become nerds about different things, which is, I got into Game of Thrones. No big deal. <laughs> uh, we're going to go apart. We're going to change. But if I were to ever be like, hey, are we soulmates? Are we best friends? It's yes. It's a, You can't break that thing that you first felt when you were eight years old and you realize you saw yourself in someone else. And it's a very good thing to find out uh, 20 years later and to realize that those bonds can't be broken. And that's what I learned this week. Thanks, guys. Alex Calavera, thank you very much, man. Congrats once again. Reflection 
But I've said nothing so far And I can keep it up For as long as it takes And it don't matter who you are If I'm doing my job It's your resolve that breaks Because the heart brings you Suicide, but I've got too much pride inside. You'll hide or slide. I'll do as I'll decide and let it run till I've died. And only then shall I abide this tide of catchy little tunes of hipster minute ditties. I wanna bust our balloons. I wanna burn all of your cities to the ground. I found I will not mess around unless I play. Then hey, I will go on a day. Hear what I say. I have a prayer to pray. That's really all this was. When I'm feeling stuck and need a buck, I don't rely on luck because the hope brings you.
you all weren't too keen on singing along with that one, but we're gonna. I'm You're gonna like, sing along on this one. Yeah, that's, that's like we're looking in your face and fucking daring you not to. that feedback on to John Popper though. <laughs> Good God! <laughs> Alright, well, sorry. <laughs> it's okay, Alex. Sorry for giggling like an idiot through the entire time. You guys know what I'm talking about! <laughs> well, <laughs> no one, nothing! <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Thank you, Jesus! Yeah. Thank you. Because yeah, well, I, I thought the theme faded away. I was like, well, it's not really making fun of anything anymore. <laughs> 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 you were displeased yeah. with it as a comedy yeah. song, not realizing it was a real song. I thought you guys wrote a parody version of that song. I have no. never listened to the words of that song ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you have. Well, that's amazing. The more you know. I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what. I can tell you with 99% certainty we did write this one, right? Yeah. This yeah. Was This afternoon, actually. Fire, the one <laughs> desire you are. 